Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode of Opera for Everyone, Pat, what are we listening to? We are listening to the magnificent and famous opera Aida by Giuseppe Verdi. Ooh, I'm so excited. It's This is an opera that we are going to be hard-pressed to squeeze into our two-hour block of time, but we're going to do our best. I believe in you, Pat. I believe in you too, Keely. <laughs> you're at the control board there. Okay. <laughs> well, you're driving, so. Uh, well, I'm I'm actually in the passenger seat just yapping at you while you drive. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So this was the very first opera that I saw at the Met. Oh, wonderful. Well, this is an opera that needs to be seen on a huge opera stage. It was enormous there were horses there were multiple horses on the stage it's not Aida without the horses it was very impressive in fact Verdi actually quite liked or and some of the people who've mounted productions really want to have elephants too and they looked into it for the Met stage and the sad conclusion was that the Met stage simply could not accommodate elephants really yeah like structurally structurally yeah it would would be too much renovation required so no elephants on the Met stage Interesting. You know, because I used to live over by the Met mm-hmm. and or over by Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, occasionally, the, the back entrance to the stage, you would see them bringing animals in there. Camels. Yeah. And, yeah. Sheep. Yeah. It was crazy. All these things will show up in very, and horses certainly, but uh, no elephants. No elephants. Dang yeah. it. Okay. There well, have been productions with elephants, but not. Not at the Met. Not at New York's Metropolitan. So we're talking about all of these exotic animals. Yes. Where, what do you want to, where are we set? What are we talking about here? The setting for this opera is Egypt. And this is special compared to some of the other exotically set operas that we've talked about because it was commissioned by Egyptians for the Cairo Opera House. Really? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because we've talked about these other operas where you know, maybe they've gotten music boxes from China or right. Japan or mm-hmm. just these little snatches and ideas where they want to set them in exotic locales. But in fact, they had the help of Egyptologists and they had the help of some of the government officials. And it was commissioned by the uh, what was a pretty new opera house in Egypt and what in Cairo. What time frame was it commissioned and premiering? Well, it coincides or shortly um, just just right after Uh, the opening of the Suez Canal. So the Suez Canal opens in 1869. Uh And uh, just a little history refresher. We know why the Suez Canal is very important, right? Yeah, totally. I think it has something (laughs) to do with oil. It has to do with transportation. Shipping. Yes, because I I should have brought a map with me Uh so that everyone listening to the radio could see. But (laughs) Oh, between the Mediterranean and um, the... The Dead Sea? What's on the other side of the It's Suez the Red Canal? Sea, but leading into the Indian Ocean. In other right. words, it alleviates the necessity of going all the way around Africa. The Cape. You don't have to go around right. the southern tip of Africa. Which is very, very dangerous. And lengthy. Yeah. So it's, it's enormously important. It's this canal that's over 100 miles long, has no locks. It is huge. At the time it was built, and even up to this day... At the time it was built, it, it could it was big enough to accommodate the largest ships that had in ever been built. In 1869. Exactly. And even up to this day, it can, can accommodate all but the very largest ships that, wow. that exist. So it's, it's an impressive piece of human engineering. engineering. 
And its opening was accompanied with huge celebrations because, as you can imagine, this was just a huge economic boom. For Egypt. Yes. Well, I mean, I say that (laughs) at the same time. The history person in me is saying, well, there were colonialism. Uh, There were economic considerations in terms of debt as well, because as you can imagine, it was very expensive to build, very expensive to build. And there was a lot of debt. And ultimately, that debt had to be sold off. And the European nations, which bought the debt, the French and the British primarily, or the British largely need to step in, and then they, they ultimately take control. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. At the time it's built. 1869. In, at the time it's built. It takes 10 years to be built. It's opened in 1869. The rulers in Egypt, in fact, are viceroys of the Ottoman Empire. So they're oh, not native yeah. Egyptians, the people in charge. And Ottoman is what we now would consider Turkey? ish that region yeah i'm gonna give you full credit for that answer the ottoman empire as an empire ceases to exist with world war one mm-hmm. but the ottoman empire had existed for centuries and centuries by this time by the late 19th century it is a, a shadow of its former self mm-hmm. so it's not a large impressive or far-flung Dominant. empire mm-hmm. a- anymore however the even though he's a viceroy of the ottoman empire it's I mean, it's complicated because he's not really controlled that much by the the powers that be in Istanbul. The man in charge in Egypt at this point is called Khedive Ismail or Pasha Ismail. And he was educated in Europe. He went to school in France and he loved opera, Italian opera in particular. Oh. So as part of the celebrations for the opening of the Suez Canal, he lavished money on a European-style opera house. Wow. And in fact, the opening opera, when the opera house opened, was Rigoletto. Aha! Uh-huh. Quite a compliment to Verdi. Yeah. And he wanted to do whatever he could to entice Verdi, who is pretty popular. You know, coming up on being 60 years old at this point. Oh, he was older. Okay. Yeah, he's coming. So he's, he's yes, incredibly popular. He is the reigning champion of opera. I mean, unless you're a big Wagner fan. <laughs> he is the man. And so Pasha Ismail wanted to do whatever he could to entice. Right. Well, and I suppose in 1869, if you're 60 years old, traveling from Europe to Egypt might be kind of challenging. Well, it could be, but Verdi was was blessed with pretty good health. Uh, Verdi actually lives to, until 1901. Oh, okay. So he was pretty old. Yeah, he did, he, he did well. He made a lot of money in his life, which always helps. Um, and he was he was blessed with reasonably good health. So <laughs> that was not that was not an issue. I mean, he was curmudgeonly at this point. He was exacting. He didn't jump right in and say yes. He had to be cajoled into it. But let's save some of that story for a minute or two okay. from now. And let's listen to, I can hear a little bit of our tenor singing underneath. Let's let's back up and listen to this beautiful aria. Aida is famous for having the tenor very early in the opera do this amazing song, his beautiful aria called Celeste Aida. Heavenly Aida, where he sings of his love for Aida. Quick introduction of the characters. We meet Radames, the captain of the guard, in other words, the sort of chief military officer, speaking to the chief priest early on. And the chief priest says, well, 
the goddess has chosen who is going to be the leading commander against the Ethiopians who have invaded our country. The pharaoh will announce it soon. And he's thinking, oh, I hope it's me. I hope it's me. And besides hoping it's him, he thinks, oh, and if I'm a successful warrior, then I can make my dreams come true with the woman that I love. And it's a little scandalous because the woman he loves is a a slave. She's a slave. And she's a slave at this point in time. By the way, the setting of time is merely ancient Egypt in the time of the pharaohs. Okay. So it's mythical past. It's the legendary past. They don't, they're not naming a particular pharaoh or a particular year. And he's going to basically sing a love song letting us know about his love for Aida, this Ethiopian slave.
If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and on today's episode, we are listening to Aida by Giuseppe Verdi, and we've just heard from Radames, one of our lead characters in the play, and who was the uh, the female voice that we heard in there towards the end of that track, Pat? That was Omneris. She is the daughter of the pharaoh, and she is one point in the love triangle that is at the heart mm-hmm. of Aida. But she's not going to win because she's a mezzo-soprano. So she's not going to win because she's the mezzo, right? Yep. <laughs> Poor Amneris. Right down the wall, girl. you got to have a higher voice to get the, to get the guy. Right? <laughs> it's, it's true. It's That's how it works in opera. That's how it works it's in opera. It's a tough business. <laughs> At any rate, so quick, quick bringing us up to date. Let me tell you just a little bit about what uh, our tenor aria was. Yes. What did he say aside from I love Aida so much and I really want to be the captain of the guards? Well, he he well, he is the captain of the guards. He really wants to be the one that the goddess chose to lead the army against the invading Ethiopians. Oh, I see. Okay. Which P.S. That is the the homeland. The goddess or the pharaoh? The goddess divines who is the appropriate choice to lead the armies, who's going to be the most auspicious choice. Oh, okay. Yeah. You you see a very clear interweaving of the the, the spiritual leadership with the political leadership here in this. Okay. All right. I'm clear. For some reason, I thought the pharaoh was choosing, but the goddess is going to, the gods are going to tell the goddess who will be leading the charge against the invading Ethiopians. Yes, and the pharaoh will be announcing it shortly. Right, okay. And that's what the high priest has told Radames. And Radames is saying, oh, I hope I'm chosen because then... It's an interesting line of logic from my point of view because he's like, I hope I I win. I hope I defeat the army so that I can bring my true love back to her homeland and show her honor. And so I'm not really sure that line of thinking nevertheless part of what he says his his reason is clouded by love (laughs) right he says to return to you aida my sweet aida decked with the victor's laurels to say i fought and i won for you heavenly aida divine form mystic garland of light and flowers you are the queen of my thought you are the splendor of my life that i might bring you once more the blue skies the soft breezes of your native land a royal crown to deck your brow, a royal throne for you in the sun. Hmm. After I slaughter all your countrymen. Yeah, he leaves that part. <laughs> You're going to be the victor, but everybody that you know is going to be dead. So so he's singing this beautiful love song mm-hmm. to Aida, mm-hmm. and tiptoe, tiptoe, in comes Omneris. The mezzo. Who's desperately in love with him. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, what rare joy shines on your face. What noble pride flashes in your eyes. Oh, how enviable indeed would that woman be whose beloved face might kindle so joyful a light in you. Is it me? Is it me? Yeah, that's what she's thinking. And then she's like, I don't think it's me. Yeah. Who is it? And <laughs> so she's... Going after him, asking questions, and at one point, and there's a lot, by the way, where we've got characters on stage singing at the audience what their thoughts are, but the people on stage can't hear each other what they're thinking. Oh, yeah, very breaking the third wall all the time, all the time. It happens. Or is it the fourth wall? So, Aradames at one point says, "What an interrogation! 
Perhaps she has discovered the secret love which burns in my heart. Perhaps she has read my thoughts, her slave girl's name. And then Omneris tells us, Oh, woe if love for another should burn in his heart. Woe to him if my eyes should ever see through this fatal mystery. So she hasn't figured it out yet. So there's a little bit of foreshadowing that if she finds out who he's in love with and it's not her, that she's going to get kind of upset. Well, she is the daughter of the pharaoh. She's in a powerful position. Right. wonder, on stage, do they wear all the, like, the Egyptian, you know, like, eyeliner thing and the typical thing that we think about when we think of ancient Egypt? Well, different productions can do it in different ways, but typically the photographs that i have seen yeah yes yeah i yes. can't remember it was it was so long ago that i first saw this performed can't remember <laughs> okay well, so let she's me just, the daughter of the pharaoh so and can i can i seeing you breaking walls here can i just break in and slightly finish the story of how this opera came to be how verity got talked into it yeah because there's a little more good story yeah. there or at least i think it's a little more good story do you want me to make the needle on the record Sound? <laughs> pull over to the side of the road yeah. we have more little backstory to give you so there's this opera house and the the guy in charge the political mm-hmm. leader is desperate to get Verdi involved mm-hmm. desperate to get him involved and he's got there's a Frenchman sort of hanging around I say hanging around there's there's an Egyptologist are you familiar with the concept of Egyptomania and the Egyptologists well I did grow up in the 80s and that Bangles song walk like an Egyptian was kind of a a mania so they're they were a little late to the game Egypt the Bangles were yeah <laughs> the Egyptomania Egyptomania and Egyptology become kind of a big deal uh, following Napoleon Bonaparte's conquest of Egypt oh so we're talking 1799 he occupies Egypt from 1799 to 1802 And that's when, for instance, the Rosetta Stone is found. Ah. All kinds of other ancient artifacts. What is the Rosetta Stone? The Rosetta Stone is... I think of it as a language learning program, so... Well, there's a reason why they, the language learning people, use that name. That, the Rosetta Stone... Is is it like a translating? It's this linguistic key. Ah. Uh, It it is literally a stone... Mm -hmm. And on the stone, there's an inscription in three languages. And so... Oh, so you can translate be- back and forth. It becomes a key because one of the languages, I believe I'm going to get this right, one of the languages is known or mostly known because it's very hard to decipher. If you come across an ancient language that you don't know, people who are very good at linguistics can, if they have enough samples and they have things to compare them to, can little by little figure things out mm-hmm. but this was like being given a decoder ring essentially right, right the decoder ring it's the decoder rock right nice <laughs> okay all right i digress so they found the rosetta but it's stone all, it's all kinds of stuff that are that are found uh, all kinds of uh, fabulous artifacts so this is like the early 1700s and people are just going bonkers for egypt early 1800s early 1800s sorry yeah yeah people are going bonkers for egypt and there are in various cities all across Europe, there are departments of Egyptology. Egyptology is its own field of study Hmm. because Egypt has such a long and rich history. Right. Well, then we still don't know how they built those pyramids. Well, there's uh, there's all kinds of interesting things to be discovered. And a lot of the stuff we know now 
is thanks to a lot of the people who were doing the research. Egyptology at that time. mania. I loved Egyptomania. I Egyptomania. Actually, <laughs> it's a good word. It's a good word. So one Egyptologist, this Frenchman whose name is Auguste Mariette, was working in Cairo at the time. In fact, he was the founder of the Egyptian Museum of Cairo, ah. which was given a lot of support by the government. Because Pasha Ismail is not just into the canal and into opera. He is trying to do everything he can Move to modernize his country. Mm. In fact, he proudly proclaims at one point, we've got so many things happening in our country that we are, we are not African anymore. We are European. And that was their goal. Well, that's an interesting recategorization. I suppose it was along the lines of, you know, Japan or any country that wasn't considered Western wanted to be Western. So he has this Egyptologist working, and this fellow was just crazy about learning about this Frenchman. Uh, Mariette was interested in learning everything he could about Egypt. He had found this interesting story from the third century set in Egypt called Aida. It's a series of stories. And he works it out. It, there's a lot of intermeshing of various people. But but suffice it to say, we've got him. We've got Camille de Locle. He's also a Frenchman. He worked with Verdi on his libretto revisions for some of his earlier operas. Um, I guess he had collaborated with Don Carlos, the immediately preceding opera uh-huh. that Verdi had done. The conductor who conducted Rigoletto at the opening of the Cairo Opera House. All these people are kind of working behind the scenes to try to get to, Verdi. To get Verdi, Verdi. To get him. To get Verdi to say, yeah, I'll do it. And it doesn't hurt that Ishmael Pasha has boatloads of money that he's throwing at the project. That always helps. So Verdi ends up getting a sum paid to him, which is four times what he received for Don Carlos. Wow. The opera which he had just immediately done before. So he was already, <laughs> no, it's not like he was a beginner at right. that point in time. So he's like using samurai swords to open bottles of champagne. And rolling, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing with his money. Franks. But he's, he's, you know, so four times that amount. He, he even had it in his contract that as soon as the score was completed, he would have just all of these gold francs deposited in a bank in Paris. Airtight payment. And not only that, all kinds of money was going to be lavished on the number of musicians and the number of choristers and the so sets that's and the I costumes. So bonkers. Lavish. It's absolutely lavish. That is so interesting. Because, so this, that was the first opera that I ever saw. Right. And I went home and was totally it's flabbergasted. It is a complete spectacle. And and then, of course, you know, you that's like starting out at the World Series. Yeah. It's like nothing ever compares to that. I don't think I've ever seen a production that was as incredible as that production of Aida. At the and that's, that is a piece of it. And then Verity decides at some point along the way that honestly, this is all well and good, but he wants to apply the same degree of lavish presentation at La Scala in Milan. So there's the the premiere happens at the Cairo Opera House late December of 1871. Six weeks later, in early February of 1872, that's when the real, I'm using my air quotes here, the real premiere as far as Verdi con- was Scala. concerned. Verdi didn't even go to the premiere. In Egypt? In Egypt. Did not even attend. What? Nope. He was staying, he was in Italy getting How ready. How rude. For the, 
he got paid, right? <laughs> he, he had people there seeing to every, all the details and he was prepping everything for La Scala's premiere of Aida. I wonder how that made Pasha Ishmael feel or whatever his name was. Oh, he was thrilled. He was thrilled. He didn't care. He's like, well, I don't care. I got what I needed. Here. Yeah. yeah, he's. I've, I've got the most amazing Verdi opera ever known. It's a premiere is here at my opera house. No, he was, he was very happy. In fact, something very interesting, Verdi was even able to extract all kinds of concessions from the management at La Scala, like important changes in the setup of the orchestra. He, along a Wagnerian line of thinking, he was able to get them to lower the orchestra into a pit, which was not typical at that time. That was something Wagner was doing. And Verdi said, no, I, it's really important to me. I, it, I, it boggles the mind. How can you possibly have opera goers who are trying to get into the drama, looking at these ancient Egyptian costumes, looking at somebody playing the flute, seeing these people in their dinner jackets and they're right. looking at their harps and their basses and, you know, let, we got to get the orchestra out right. of the sight lines. They've got to be it out of the way. It has to be the spectacle. Yeah, it, 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 the, the visual element so, is critical. So Wagner did it first, and then Verdi did it second-ish, and then now that's just how it's done. And that's just how we assume it, we it, it ought to be done. Yeah, we do. We, we get them out of our sight line. I mean, you can get glimpses, obviously, and depends where your seat is, but, right. that, but that, is, that is more and more... I mean, Wagner was way more adamant about, you know, the totally hidden bit, but... Mm-hmm. But it, it was important as well. And he, he had a larger orchestra, a larger chorus, and these became things that he was, because he was Verdi, he was able to demand right. them. He was a baller. At, <laughs> yes, he was. He's like, I'm going to make it rain, people. <laughs> All right, well, so we've been talking for a long time. The more music, please. And it's, I'm fascinated. This is so interesting, but... More music. Let's get back to the music. So we've just heard Radames and Amneris... Amneris is like, whoever you're in love with, if I ever find it out, she's going to be in big trouble because I'm the daughter of the Pharaoh and I love you, Radames, and now what's going to happen? All right. Well, let's hear her put the squeeze on Aida now. Oh, she's going to... Oh, does she know? She suspects. All right. Well, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's program, we're listening to Verdi's Aida. And this is Amneris, the daughter of the Pharaoh, singing... Vieni, o diletta, apprisati. Come, my child, come near me.
So, I don't really speak Italian, Pat, but Amneris sounds concerned. Well, Amneris is trying to trying to get the information that Amneris wants. And she starts by cozying up, right? She says, as, as you read in the title, come mm-hmm. near me, come my here. child. She, hey, little she one. She said, you're not a slave. I've called you sister. Why do you weep? And Aida simply says, well, they're at war against my native land. I, I'm fearful for them, which you would think would be enough to satisfy that question, wouldn't you? Right. Omnera says, isn't there some greater care that disturbs you? Because every question Omneris is going to ask in this opera is, yeah, yeah, there's all this political stuff going on, but seriously, it's really all about who I'm in love with, who you're in love with, and what conflict there is about all that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's got a one-track mind. She's dead focused on that. Mm-hmm. So she's letting Aida know, don't, don't cross me on this issue. But does she say, uh, are you in love with Rodimus? She doesn't. Okay, so she's just like because she's she doesn't just know. Push her. She's suspects. She mm-hmm. does not know. Radames shows up also, and Radames is concerned for Aida because, after all, Aida is essentially a slave mm-hmm. for the Pharaoh's daughter, for right. Amneris, and that puts her in a very vulnerable position. One of the reasons he'd like to rescue her from that position. Right. So I think it's time to move from this intimate little love triangle discussion to the larger political situation okay and find out about our armies and who's going to lead them in this war against the ethiopians okay let's do that
If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we're listening to Giuseppe Verdi's Aida. And we've just heard from Aida herself. And Right, but before that... Oh, right, the political, rousing political... Did you hear that very military? That was amazing, yeah. Yeah, that was the full-on chorus. The stage was full of everyone, turns out. Surprise, surprise, the general chosen to leave the army, Radames himself. Yes. As he was wishing. He is the general who will be leading the army. And the chorus is singing, cheering him on to triumph and lead the armies to victory. And we hear a little bit from Radames, we hear a little bit from Aida, and we hear a little bit from Omneris during that, that martial song, along from hearing with the populace. Radames will say, a sacred thrill of glory runs through my heart. Onward, let us hasten to victory, war and death to the invader. And we're going to hear, and we did hear, I should say, Aida. She says, for whom do I weep? For whom do I pray? What power binds me to him? I must love him. Yet he is the enemy of my country. Mm-hmm. He's going to kill everybody. She's deeply conflicted. And Omneris is really fulfilling her job as a leader in the state. And she brings ceremonial objects to him. Accept, O leader, from my hands this glorious banner. May it be a light and a guide on the road to victory. And so this is great state ceremony, sending the leader and the whole army off to do battle against an invading army and meanwhile Aida is deeply conflicted because she doesn't want him to die and she doesn't really want him to slaughter her people either Mm -hmm. but that's she's between a rock and a hard place she's in a very hard place and the song ends with this refrain return victorious return victorious and that's repeated over and over again and that is the first line of this next song which we hear when Aida is singing by herself, which we're continuing to hear underneath here. And she says, return victorious. How did I let those words escape from my lips? How, how am I saying that? That makes no sense. Victorious over my father, who takes up arms for me to give me my country once more, to give me freedom? How am I cheering that victory on? How did I get caught up in all of this? And she's really lamenting here this terrible, terrible position she finds herself in. She's she's a captive in a foreign land. Mm-hmm. Stockholm Syndrome. She's bonded with her terrorist. Yeah, and she's fallen in love with this guy. Yeah. It's, it's a tough situation for her. So then what happens? Then the priests and the priestesses have to praise the gods and pray for victory. Is because there... this is the wrapping up of political and spiritual... Right. Is there any like weird sacrifices or anything like that? Or it's just parades and... Uh, there's a dance. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then what happens? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have Act 2. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So what happens at the beginning of Act 2? Well, in Act 2, we celebrate because we get word that the armies have been victorious. So we're anticipating their return. Uh huh. They have not yet returned, but we're anticipating their return, and we're we're quite happy about that. Okay. 
And then we have a, a scene in Omneris's chambers when she's with Aida and she's preparing herself to receive the victorious troops. Uh, along with the man she's in love with. Along with the man they're both in love with. Yes. Unbeknownst to either of them, but probably highly suspected. Well, Aida knows, but... Aida knows that I'm near... Oh, right, yeah. Okay. Right. So there is a series of songs here between the two of them, this duet, where Aida is trying to be essentially a dutiful slave, and Omneris is trying to figure out, are you hiding something, Aida? And she's going to try all kinds of different strategies. I heard it described as just a little bit of a cat and mouse game. And she's she's going to do a little bit of what she was doing before, asking her questions and like, hey, are you sure you're not hiding something? Right. Why don't you know, I'm your, I'm your sister. Let it out to me. It'll feel better if you just tell me what's going on. That is on. so dangerous. It is so dangerous. I've fallen for that before. Have you? Oh, yeah. It's bad. I'm pretty gullible. <laughs> but yeah, people are like, oh, but I'm just curious. I would really like to know. And any time that you're, you should just zip your lip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Omneris, again, this is throughout this, they're speaking to us, the audience, when they can't hear each other mm-hmm. and at, at various points Aida, Aida at one point says love love tormenting joy sweet rapture cruel anxiety in thy sorrow I find my life in thy smile I find heaven itself and Omneris says to herself ah her pallor her confusion betray the secret fear of love I fear to question her for I share the anxiety of her heart and it just keeps going on. I'm un- I'm uncomfortable with all of this, just even thinking about it. And she's very sweet by turns, Ooh. and she's very threatening by turns. She's creepy. She says she says very kind things, and then and then she flashes. Fear me now, you slave. Let your heart break. This love can mean your death. I am the master of your fate. My heart rages with hate and vengeance. So let's hear a little bit of this, a little bit of this singing. Thank you. 
So any guesses as to how Amneris gets Aida to, to, to crack, to reveal her love for Radames? Mm, cookies? No. She tells Aida that Radames has died in Ugh. battle. Ugh. Do not like Amneris. She's a baddie. She tells Aida that Radames has died in battle. She's mean. And I, Aida is understandably upset. And then when she says, no, he's alive, the utter relief betrays her love. Right. Omniris. She's a mean girl. She's a sneaky one. That stinker, Omniris. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now Omniris knows and Aida is screwed. Yeah. Oh. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Gross. And Radames, as far as he knows, his, his dreams have He's come like, true. Yay, I'm coming home. I'm victorious. Now I can like... I, everything I ever wanted Ugh. has come my way, he thinks. Except not. Except not. And now on the grand scale in this grand opera of spectacle, we get to celebrate because... Champagne? It's not intermission time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's time for spectacle. It's time to oh, fill the stage with animals said, and you people. Said celebrate, my mind immediately goes to champagne. No, it's animals and people and much singing and okay. processing. Oh. Yes. So there's, there is going to be singing about glory to Egypt. And we're going to hear right now this triumphal march. which Triumphal is, march. Triumphal march, which is considered to be... For opera and Verdi's compositions, his most famous piece of instrumental music, opera music without singing. Oh, excellent. Okay. Let's listen. All right. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And this is a triumphal march from the near the beginning of Act 2 of Verdi's Aida. Almost, almost. Right? <laughs> sounds like sounds like Star Wars. A little bit. 
I think that John Williams was inspired by by the triumphal march from Aida. John Williams is an educated musician. If so. anyone knows John Williams, please ask him. Aida's triumphal march. You can yeah. reach us on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. We'd really like to know. That'd be super cool, actually, if Wouldn't someone it? knew about John that. John Williams, call us. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so the triumphal march sounds like Star Wars. Might have inspired John Williams. Yeah, and if you had elephants... This is this where they'd be. This is where you absolutely. <laughs> this is totally where they'd be, and yeah, this is where you the parade. The tr- well, you hear the trump. I mean, you've got yeah. trumpeters on stage. Yep. And by the way, there's the triumphal march, which is just instrumental, but it is preceded and followed by songs of triumph and celebration mm-hmm. of victory as well. And there's even like a, a dance, right? A ballet with. There's a ballet. There's a triumphal ballet. Yep, there's a ballet that is going to take place that, that immediately follows mm-hmm. this triumphal march. And the ballet was very short originally, but then for the in the next decade, the uh, after the premiere, the Paris premiere. Mm, of course, because the, the French, French loves the ballet, <laughs> right? It's, we it's, are French. We love the ballet. <laughs> it was a, 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 an absolutely essential part of French opera to have the ballet and. Verdi expanded the music for it, and he told his publisher, Ricordi, he says, yes, I like that. That goes in all future scores, the expanded ballet. Nice. Yeah. So that's kind of playing here underneath where we're talking. It's beautiful. And so after the ballet, there's more triumphal singing and music going on, and we get to see the spoils of war. Again, this is, this is that spectacle. spectacle, that lavish production that you're talking about. You see... Well, in some productions, you see piles of dead bodies, you see slaves brought in, you see plunder, you just see everything that comes in. The spoils of victory. When you are the victorious army. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's what they're doing. They're celebrating. But along with the celebrating... Aida's heart is breaking. You see this anguish of this one woman. And, and Omneris knows. And Omneris knows. And things are going to start to go sideways for Aida really quick. Okay. Are you ready for a little bit more information? I am. So the next song that we're going to highlight here. Is it called Things Go Sideways for Aida Now? It's called What Do I See? He? My father? Let's the play Pharaoh? It. No, this is Aida. She sees her father. Oh, no. He's been captured. Oh, that's heartbreaking. All right. We'll listen to that. So she says, oh my gosh, it's my father. And then the chorus comes in and they're like, it's your father? The crowd is stunned. Your right. father is here? And Omneris is like, oh, my luck just gets better and better. Her father's in oh. our power. And Aida can't believe her father's a prisoner. And her father comes close and says to her, don't 
don't betray me, daughter. And so she doesn't really say much of anything yet. And the king says, come over here. Who are you? He says, I'm, I'm a warrior. I fought, but I was defeated. My country has been defeated. King, have mercy on us. Fate can change for all of us. It could happen to you one day. Please have mercy on us. So at this point, they don't know that he's the king. No. That's right. why he says to her, don't betray right. me. In other okay. words, don't tell, don't tell them who I am. Radames, meanwhile, turns to the king. And because of his love for Aida, he says, King, you promised me because of our victory. And he has done this earlier in the bit we skipped over. You promised me that I could ask for anything I, I wished of you and you would grant it to me. I wish for freedom for our Ethiopian prisoners. We need, let's free them. Grant them mercy. And the priests all shout, no, death to the prisoners. How could they have gone and fought a war and been victorious and then bring the prisoners back and then just set them free right away? What is, what is he thinking that is going to happen? Well, there are times in war when prisoners are set free where the notion is that granting mercy creates allies as opposed to lifelong Continuing enemies. Okay. It's a strategy. Right. Sometimes backfires. Okay. Not always. I'm not a military strategist, so it can, I'm going to take your word on this path. It can backfire terribly. Okay, so he says, "Okay, king or pharaoh, I want I want you to set all the yes. Ethiopian prisoners free." And, and the, then the and pharaoh there's says, there's some there's some consternation about it, and the king ultimately says, "All right, I yield to your good counsel, and I'm going to give you something bonus that you didn't even ask for. I'm going to give you the hand of my daughter. Oh, you can marry my daughter. You, so that you'll be Ugh. you'll be king next. Lucky you. Yeah." So let's end on a little more songs of victory to go out on Act Two. Listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time 
on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron. And me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, we are listening to Giuseppe Verdi's Aida. And on the first half of the program, we ended up, I guess, at the end of Act Two. We did, right in the middle. Right in the middle. And that's the triumphal march we were just listening to. And that was kind of in the middle of Act Two, but... We but just we like it, it so much. <laughs> well, and it gives me another opportunity to talk about how I think that John Williams, who wrote the Imperial March first, or no, 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 not the Imperial, well, he did write the Imperial March too, but this sounds like Star Wars to me. It just does. I can't prove you wrong. I don't know. I don't know. So if anybody knows if John Williams ever was inspired by Verity, <laughs> please let us know. We're available on Facebook. <laughs> you can find us and send us a message. All right, you know what time it is, Keely. I know, I was dragging my feet. I was hoping I, that you I saw, I saw those feet dragging. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the opera helmet quiz. Uh, so Wherein you recap what happened in the plot yes, in the first half. Thus far. Okay, so we're set in ancient mythical Egypt. In the time of the pharaohs, as it says in the libretto. In the time of the pharaohs. And our main male character, our male lead, Rodimus, who is a tenor. Of course. Of course. Is the leader of the military for the ancient mythical land in which we're set. And he is awaiting news from the goddess who is divine, divining from the gods and the goddesses who will lead their military into battle against the invading Ethiopians who have invaded their land. And so as we open, we hear Radames singing i guess to the audience or the gods or whomever that he really hopes that he's the one that's chosen to lead them into battle because then he'll be able to realize his dream of being with his love aida the title character heavenly aida heavenly aida who is a slave yes and also a soprano which means we know that she's gonna win because she's the a guy. soprano. <laughs> And uh, But Aida is a slave that's been taken in this war. So she's from Ethiopia. And she is the companion, servant, slave, maiden, whatever, to the daughter of the pharaoh, uh, whose name is Amneris. And Amneris is a mean girl. She's a baddie. And she's also in love with Radames. Which, actually, I should say, so Radames is in love with Aida. Aida is in love with Radames. Amneris is in love with Radames. Love triangle. Love triangle. 
hilarity ensues. Or not hilarity. No, not really. No. Chaos. <laughs> uh, tears. Drama. Drama, yeah. So we learn that Radames is the one that will be chosen. To lead the army. To lead the army into battle against the Ethiopians, which leaves Aida really conflicted because she's terrified that her countrymen will be slain, but she also is in love with Radames and wants him to be victorious because um, then that means that maybe they'll have a better chance of being together, actually. So she's torn between love for country and love for her romantic love. And as all this is unfolding, Omneris is suspicious about the relationship between Radames and Aida. And as we are preparing for the army to go into battle, we see this dynamic unfolding between Omneris and Aida, where Omneris is sort of by turns coaxing and threatening Aida into telling her what's going on because she wants Aida to admit that she's in love with Radames. Um, so at the end of Act 1, Radames goes off into battle and everyone is all excited about that and there's the townspeople of the ancient Egyptian land are all victory is ours and all this kind of return business. victorious return is victorious. the refrain yes and uh, so that's the end of Act One. Well, Aida sings along with the townsfolk or with right. the populace. Right, return victorious, which she's really conflicted about because it's again love for country versus um, love for her man, I guess. So that's the end of Act One. And then we go to Act 2, where Omneris continues to be the mean girl, and Aida continues to try to deflect her questions. And at this point, we know that the army has been victorious and has defeated the invading Ethiopians. And so Omneris and Aida are in her chambers, are in Omneris's chambers. And at one point, Omneris sneakily and very manipulatively says to Aida, Radames is dead. And Aida's like, all right. She just kind of sucks it up. And then Amnera says, just kidding, he's alive. And then Aida's face, her whole reaction betrays her. And then Amneris knows that Aida's in love with Radames. And then cut to the big triumphal march and everybody coming back and Radames is alive and blah, 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 blah. And the big ballet and, and all the ballet, horses. Right, and, yeah. And it's like, yeah. you know, 100,000 people on the stage in the Metropolitan Opera and you're surprised it doesn't collapse, but at least they don't have elephants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's okay. But then the Pharaoh says, Radames, you're the victor and I'm going to honor my promise to you to grant you whatever you ask for. So Radames says... I'd like you to free all of the slaves to which all of the... All of uh, the captives. Yep. All, of the, all of the captives, all the captured prisoners of war to which all the priests and members of the cabinet and all of the high-ranking officials and politicians are shocked and they say, no, that can't happen. But then the Pharaoh says, okay, we can do that for you since you're such a great warrior. And also, since you're such a great warrior, you get to marry my daughter. And then you'll become king. And then act two ends. And we need to also remember we've introduced one other important character. The father of... Oh, that, okay, yeah. So before act two ends, they parade all the spoils of their... Yes. All the loot and the booty and everything they've gotten as part of the spoils of war, including all the prisoners. 
And so as they are parading all these prisoners of war past, Aida says, Father! And then all of the townspeople of this ancient Egyptian place say, that's her father? And they're all scandalized. But they manage to keep it a secret that actually her father is the king of this Ethiopian uh, army. Of Ethiopia. Of Ethiopia. And so that's where we end act two yep and the first part of today's episode that's right oh god and we're ready for act three to (sighs) begin okay act three what happens in act three pat well act three begins uh very uh, reverentially we're going to sing some songs to isis and osiris and we're not going to listen to those right now because we're going to get more into the plot with our love triangle okay and some of the political toings and froings in fact, we're going to start with a little encounter between the high priest and Omneris as she prepares for her wedding. Oh, right. Right. So she's going to talk to the high priest and she's going to say, could we please beseech the goddess's favor on the eve of my wedding to to make sure that my, my husband is true to me and he loves me with all of his heart and I will pray. I will pray with all of my heart. And they all agree, yes, we will both stay up together till dawn and we shall pray. And the chorus joins in and it's a it's a big group effort to pray for this wedding between the victorious general and the pharaoh's daughter. So that's happening in one portion. And in a quiet section of the temple, we see alone oh, right. Aida. Right. And Aida is there awaiting looking a little lost and she's waiting for Radames and she's she says well Radames told me to wait here but she has no idea what to expect from him right because he just captured her father and killed a bunch of people from her country yeah and, and she, she doesn't thinks, know and she's heard that he's just been promised the hand of the pharaoh's daughter and so why wouldn't he do that and why wouldn't he do then that he'll be pharaoh so He's probably just going to say, yeah, it was nice. Bye. Right. And so she's thinking things have taken pretty bad turns on all fronts. Right. And she kind of falls into reverie about her homeland, which she hasn't seen in so very long. And so she sings this lovely song about her homeland. O Patria Mia.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And that was Aida singing about her homeland in Giuseppe Verdi's Aida. Achingly wistful, don't you think? It was lovely. I feel very calm, strangely, after having listened to that. It was just a nice aria. Yes, but it's also the song of someone who believes she'll never see her homeland again. Displaced. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Well, next. Yes. Out from the shadows steps. The mean girl. No. <gasps> Rodimus. Fa- Rodimus. Her nope. lover. No, <gasps> her father. Oh. And she's surprised to see her father. How did he escape? He was a prisoner. Oh, but they've been set free. Right? But so has she been set free? Because she was a slave too, but I get, okay. Anyway. He steps out mm-hmm. and she says, Father. So no joyful reunion between father and daughter here. He gets right down to business. He says to her, A grave matter has been brought to me, has brought me here, Aida. Nothing escapes my eyes. Love for Radames is killing you. He loves you too. You are waiting for him. The daughter of the Pharaoh is your rival. The princess of a hated race, our deadly enemy. And Aida goes, yes, I, I am in her power. I, the daughter of the king of Ethiopia. In her power? No. If you wish, you can defeat your powerful rival and your fatherland throne and love will be all yours you will see again the fragrant forest that's what she was just singing right. in her song and the cool valleys and golden temples all those things she was wistfully longing for and she sings you think i can really you know after after basically giving up on seeing all these things in yeah. the song we just heard she says do you think i can really see these things again Oh, yes, of course you can. Of course you can. Have you forgotten how awful Egypt was to us? How they defiled our altars, our temples, our homes? How they carried off our maidens into slavery and murdered our mothers, our old men and our children? And Aida's like, yes, it's, it's really bad. It's dreadful. I remember. How could I forget how awful they were to us? Oh, grant, oh gods, that for us may return the dawn of those peaceful days for which we pray. And her father says, remember, it cannot long be delayed. Our people even now are ready for battle. All are prepared and we shall conquer. Only one thing is lacking for me to know the route that the enemy will follow. It is like, wow, well, gosh. How could you find that out? <laughs> you mean like my boyfriend? <laughs> she's, not, she's not quite seeing where he's, he's pointing so at this point. So I think I know where this is going. Well, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm you're going to play along? Yes. You're going to sit in your seat and yes. watch the show? <laughs> I think it involves somebody hiding and somebody asking a bunch of questions. She says, well, who could find that out? Her father says, you could. And she says, me? Me? How could that be possible? And he says, Aida, I know that you are waiting for Radames. He loves you 
and he is the Egyptian captain. Do you understand? And she suddenly figures out what he's asking her to do. Right. A horrible thought. What are you asking of me? No, never. I can't do that. And he gets angry now. Right. Really angry. Right. He's like, you're my daughter, and this is your country, and this is your duty. Well, he actually gets a little meaner than that, believe it or not. Really? He says, arise then, soldiers of Egypt. Sack and burn our cities. Spread terror, rape, and death. There is no rain now to your fury. And she's like, father, stop, father. You call yourself my daughter. And she's repeatedly, she says, have pity, have pity. And he has no pity at this moment. Waves of blood are flowing over the vanquished cities. See from the black swirls of the dead arise. They point at you and cry. Because of you, our country dies. Hmm. Yeah, he's pretty angry. He's laying it on thick. Have pity, father. Have pity. A horrid specter raises in the shadows before us. Tremble for over your head. It lifts its bony arms. It is your mother. See her. She is cursing you. I mean, he's... Oh, he's pulling out all the stops. He's not He's not holding back on right. anything. Yes. You are not my daughter. You are the slave of the Pharaoh. Oh. That's what her father tells her. That's a pretty low blow. So she's like, have pity, father. I'm not their slave. Don't curse me or revile me. And as you can imagine, as this goes on, she does finally break down under this onslaught. Well, yeah. It's pretty strong. Yeah. Well, it's your father. It's your country. I mean, she already was conflicted. And he's like, you're a horrible person. And your mother, your dead mother is going to curse you. Yes. 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 Yeah. I mean, what, you know. I think you're going to give in to that. Yes. And guess who shows up now? Rodimus. Yes. So Daddy Deer sneaks off. off into the shadows. <laughs> sure. Off into Hide. the shadows. <laughs> At last I am with you again, sweet Aida. So let's hear those songs right now. Le fresche valli di nostri tempi d'or. 
cosa felice a lui che amasti tanto, tripuri immensi
just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and on today's episode we're listening to Aida by Giuseppe Verdi. And we've just listened to Radames and Aida being reunited after he has come home victorious from defeating the Ethiopian army, the army of Aida's homeland, and she's awaiting to hear what what he wants to do. Right, she's waiting in this temple where her father has just had this intense scene with her where she's like, I don't want to betray the man I love. And her father insists that she gets information from him that will help her people, mm-hmm. even though it will not be in her, her best interest or her love's best interest we should say mm-hmm. but that last song we heard between Radames and Aida was Radames saying oh Aida I know I he am. sounded super excited I'm so happy to be with you again well she's not so excited she's like um you should probably leave you're supposed you to be marrying this other lady Pharaoh's daughter right and she's super mean I, right <laughs> she has been pretty mean to Aida and he says, what are you saying? It's you I love. I, d- I don't care about her. She says, you can't break your oath. You're, you're pledged to marry her. He says, don't doubt my love, Aida. Hear me. Ethiopia has awakened, and we're going to have to fight new battles, but, but we'll, we'll defeat them, but I'll, I'll make you queen. It'll be great. Don't worry. It's all going to work out. <laughs> you know, this guy, he's like, he's a great warrior, but he's kind of isn't he He, like what his whole logic all along has been really questionable well or is it just me hold on to that thought okay you may you may keep that thought okay and and you may have further evidence to add to it actually as time goes by (laughs) at any rate (laughs) we um we're gonna move on and Aida is gonna say tell him I know how we can figure this all out your plan doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. Radames. I have a better plan. Let's just get out of here. Let's not... Do the skedaddle. Let's, They're going to do the skedaddle. Let's just flee. She's going to not call it skedaddle. She's going to say, let us flee. We can't We can't fight against all of this. You can't fight against Omneris. You can't fight all, fight all my pharaoh. people and, and kill them right. and then it all be okay. That's not going to work. Let's just run away. Right. And they sing a song about let's uh, flee from this land of the scorching sun. In contrast, remember, she sang about her homeland. Right. And the Golden Valley. That's how she described it. And this is an interesting point here. Because Radame says, you ask me to flee with you to a foreign land to abandon my homeland? And my gods, the land where I have found glory, the land where I fell in love with you, how can I forget my homeland? Right. So it's kind of an interesting little... Things are getting real. Things are getting real here. And part of 
Part of what goes on in this entire story of Aida, it's, as you mentioned before, when you saw it, it was the opera that sort of set a standard that in in a lot of ways, no other opera can live up to in terms of the enormity of the grandeur and the spectacle. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, Aida has enormous spectacle and casts of thousands or at least hundreds and hundreds on the stage at one time. But it's also these really intimate moments between individuals and these very real conflicts that people deal with between loves between individuals mm-hmm. and loyalties to, to and duty country. to state and country and mm-hmm. gods. So he's saying, I, I can't leave my, my homeland and my country. And she says, but we will be much freer if we go to my homeland because there are no expectations mm-hmm. of you there. And she kind of wears him down, interestingly. And you know what? He loves her. Right. And so that that being with her and the longer he's with her and the more compelling she makes this argument, he actually comes around to her way of thinking and they end up singing together come let us flee together away from this land of sorrow come with me i love you and let love be our king kind of sweet Mm. for the moment are we gonna listen to that sure let's listen to that all right
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And that song from Giuseppe Verdi's Aida sounded very upbeat and hopeful. It was hopeful. Very hopeful. Don't get used to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Pat. So what happens now? We're, we're closing in. On well, the- they're hopeful. They said, let love be our king. That was Aida and Radames. Two people in our love triangle. And they're going to go back to Ethiopia, her homeland. They're going to flee, they he's gonna He's going to give up everything because he's in love. So their, their plan is to flee. And Aida says to him, but tell me, if we flee, how can we avoid the Egyptian legions? He says, oh, the route by which my men will march against the enemy will be free until tomorrow. And she says, well, what route is that? He says, it's the Pass of Napata. Oh, the Pass of Napata. The Pass of Napata. Yeah. Great. And guess who pops out of the shadows? Amanazro, her dad. Dad pops out of the shadows. And he says, the Pass of Napata. Hmm. Great. My men will be there. Not going to be free anymore, Rodimaze. Rodimaze is in complete panic. Yeah. Who has overheard me? Aida's father. <gasps> the king of the Ethiopians. Rodimaze, he says, you? You are the king? What have <laughs> I done? Rodimaze. Things just went sideways, buddy. Yeah, he didn't really. Yeah, yeah. he's not the smartest. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be mean or anything, but he is not the smartest. He might be a great warrior. Yeah. And Aida says, no, 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 sweetheart. Be calm. Listen to me. Trust in my love. And and Daddy Dearest says, Aida's love for you will build you a throne. And Radame says, I am dishonored dishonored for you i have betrayed my country aida says be be calm be calm and her father says no you are not guilty it was the will of fate i am dishonored i have betrayed my country for you so they're trying <laughs> she's to like fumbling around in her bag i think i have a xanax here <laughs> uh, uh, maze, just have a beer and a xanax it'll be fine just calm down. Take a nap. <laughs> they're all. They're both trying to calm him down. And of course, now they're not alone anymore. Because Omneris comes. Because Omneris comes in along with the priests and the guards. Oh, she. I do. Oh, okay. And then what happens? Yeah. Well, traitor, traitor. Okay, so she overheard this. Well, they've come in and they've figured out the whole thing. Right. And they like, see Aida. And Aida see sees Omneris dad. and shouts, "My rival!" And and the king of Ethiopia, the father, the one right. whose plans are about to be thwarted, the one who actually knows the information that his men need to know, right. is like, I'm too close to success. You are not going to foul this up. And he lunges toward Omarosa with a dagger. Rodimaze. Oh, Omarosa is the is the woman who was wrote the book about Trump. Omneris. <laughs> Omneris. He, he lunges towards Omneris <laughs> with the dagger and Rodimaze jumps between them. And ooh, yeah. So 
he saves her from being stabbed and uh, it gives time for Aida and her father to flee. flee. And Radames doesn't even try to flee. He just gives himself up to the guards because he doesn't want to dishonor himself any further. Right. And thus ends Act 3. Okay, that was a lot. Yes. So are we going to listen to music to introduce Act 4, or do you need to set something up first? I'm exhausted. Let's listen to some music (laughs) for the beginning of Act 4. All right, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and we're going to listen to the beginning of Act 4. Right, and this is called My Hated Rival has escaped Omneris sings this. This is Omarosa (laughs) (laughs) singing about her rival, Aida. You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and that was Amneris singing My Rival Has Escaped about Aida. That's right. She's not happy. She is not happy. But right now she's more concerned, actually, in spite of the title of that, 
She's more concerned about Rodimus because she's in love. Because he's been taken prisoner. Because he's he's a traitor. Yeah, he's he's being. Well, the priests and the counselors are considering his fate mm-hmm. as a traitor, and she is telling us, "Well, he's not a traitor, even if he revealed the movements of the army. It was only because." He was meaning to flee with her, but he was just going to leave. He wasn't really betraying the army. Oh, what am I saying? She says. So she's kind of all she's over the place. She's swirling. She's swirling. She she doesn't know what to do, but you know she doesn't want him punished. She doesn't want him punished at yeah. all. Yeah. Now she's between a rock and a hard place. Yes, and you can hold on to that expression because. That might come in handy later. Rodimus, as he's considering his fate, he lets us know that the judges shall never hear from me, he says. I won't say a word to defend myself. He's so... Ashamed. Ashamed of the fact that, just as he, when he first realized what he does, he just keeps saying, I've dishonored myself. Yeah. I have dishonored myself. And he says, I don't feel guilty but I can't defend myself. Right. And Omneris is not in the same scene with him, but on stage at the same time. And she knows he's going to be condemned to death. Right. And she's she's grieving. Yeah, she's kind of bummed out. Yeah, she's like, you must live. We must find a way for you to live. And and they they get together and she says... I think I can figure out a way, but you have to promise never to speak of her, never to think of her, never to have anything to do with her. That's a tough deal. And he's like, I, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. And he says, and besides, because she's probably dead anyway in that rush to escape with her father, they probably killed them both. And it turns out, no, she lived. And Omneris tells her she lived. Her father was killed, but Aida was not killed. And Rodimus has a glimmer of hope. Oh well, perhaps she's escaped, and she'll she'll Wait never know my me. no. Perhaps she'll she'll go back to her homeland, and she'll never know my fate. So he's given up. Oh, he he knows totally. He's toast. Okay. He knows he's going to be condemned. He's a traitor. Right. He knows there's no hope for him. And he says, may the gods lead her safely to her home. May she never know the fate of the one who will die for her. That's the best he can hope for at this point. And she says, honestly, if you will renounce her, I I probably can figure out a way for you to get out of this. And he's like, "I, I won't renounce her and I won't dishonor myself any further. And he finally says, death is the greatest good. If I may die for her, in going to meet my fate, my heart will know great joy. I have no fear of mortal wrath. Your pity is the only thing that I fear. Hmm. I don't so, even know what that means. Yeah, he doesn't. It's like, I don't, I don't want anything from you. Your pity is just... Oh, because it's all like strings attached. He doesn't want anything. Yeah, he doesn't want anything from her at oh. all. And... They are still in deliberations, the priests and the counselors. About what they're going to do with Rodimus. About what they're going to do. And there's this 
there's this bit where Omneris is out there and he's and she's letting us the audience know that she wants the gods to take pity on her anguished heart on him save him he's innocent which is not something I find entirely convincing yeah he's not innocent I mean but she says my grief is desperate my grief is overwhelming please save him take pity on him and we hear in the distance defend yourself and then they say he is silent and they give him multiple times defend yourself he is silent and you hear the crowds roaring traitor traitor he's a traitor and he won't defend himself he says not a single word and finally judgment is pronounced Radames, your fate is decided you shall die a traitor's death beneath the altar of the offended god you living shall be entombed oh <gasps> they're gonna bury him alive well they're gonna entomb oh, him they'll alive. put him in a tomb and he'll that's just be that rock out. i was talking about right. in the hard place yeah oh yes he will be entombed alive oh and Omneris hears this and she sings in just just agony priests you have committed a crime infamous bloodthirsty beasts you outrage the gods and man my curse upon you heaven's vengeance will strike you is there going to be some kind of like sacrificing of herself by setting herself on fire or something because she's mad? No. 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 Okay. So he's going to be entombed alive. Yes. She's like, are you ready for the, is, yeah. Are you ready for the final scene? Yeah. Okay. So tell me. Okay. Final scene. The stage has two levels, an upper and a lower level. Uh-huh. The lower level is quite dark. Like hell? Like the tomb. Oh. And you see at the beginning, Radames by himself mm-hmm. in this dark tomb. Mm-hmm. And the guards are pushing the rock into place where he's essentially buried alive, but he's yeah. entombed alive mm-hmm. all by himself. And up on the other level is this, that is the temple. Mm-hmm. And you see some priests up there and you see Omneris is up there. Yeah. And there is not the sort of sacrifice that you were describing. But there's what, I don't know if you want to call it, but penance isn't the right word. But Did she become a nun? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> but there is, there is a remember. level at which she expresses deep remorse. She prays and asks for forgiveness. She sees the error of her ways at the end. Oh, like she's like, I'm sorry I was so mean? Essentially. Oh, well, that's good. She prays for peace. That's a noble goal. Yes, in all its aspects. Yeah. And peace for his soul as well. Because he's dying down there right below her feet. Right. Yeah, you would think that I would remember some of this, but, but wait, I just there's don't. More. Oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. But wait, there's more. Okay. So he sings all alone in the tomb there. The fatal stone has closed above me. This is my tomb. Never again shall I see the light of day. 
nor see Aida. Aida, where are you? May you at least live happily, never knowing my horrid fate. But wait, who's that I see? What? What? Her father? There's someone else in the tomb. Aida? Aida snuck in before they closed the rock. Huh. Yeah. So the two of them. <clears throat> and they died happily ever after. Are entombed together and they die in each other's arms and they they sing about it a bit before they oh, die. I bet that's a good song. Yes. Well, they sing goodbye to the earth. And they, so they're on this lower level in the darkness, mm-hmm. running out of air, etc. pitifully dying, swearing love to each other. And I guess it could be worse. <laughs> they could be alone. They couldn't have each other. At least they're together. Uh, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. So there's there's great amounts of prayers and praise happening up above them. Omneris is trying to make amends for her behavior, mm-hmm. showing remorse for the way that it all worked out for Radames and Aida, mm-hmm. and down below, the other two in the love triangle are dying in one another's arms. One self-sacrificing, and arguably the other self-sacrificing, though I don't imagine he could have gotten out of it. And well, he could how, have. He could have if he would have said, okay, I'll marry you and I love you. And he yeah. could have saved himself. And he didn't. That's not who he was, though. Right. And that's... That's the end of Aida. That's the end of Aida. Okay, well, should we listen to that last aria where they're saying... Farewell, Earth. Farewell, Earth. And uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. We're going to go out in this uh, final track from Giuseppe Verdi's Aida on Opera for Everyone on 89.1 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera opera for for everyone. everyone.